Well, we come to this moment in our service every weekend, and I just want to say, uh, regardless of what Sunday it is, uh, this is the most important moment in the service because this is the time where we open our hearts and we open our minds to the Word of God. You know, the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. And so for the life of a Christian, this is the absolute bedrock of our faith. It's the absolute truth. Now, I know we live in a day and age where a lot of people don't believe in absolutes and everything is uh, just up to our personal experience. But as believers, we believe in the absolute authoritative word of God. And so we come to the word and we see what it says and then we Adjust. We don't adjust the book. We adjust our lives according to it. And so here's what we believe as a church, that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to communicate with us. He wants to communicate with you today. And so regardless of whether he speaks through me as a, as a pastor or just speaks by you reading the word or even speaks to us via video through the testimony of an NFL player, I believe God wants to speak to you today. So my message is gonna look a lot different than it usually does because I don't typically use any video. But over the next few minutes, I'm gonna share the word of God with you and you're gonna hear some personal stories from some of the uh, players in the NFL. So I want us to just right now uh, go to prayer one more time and let's invite the Lord to speak to us from his word today. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together on this special day. Lord, over the next few moments, you're the only one in the room that knows what everyone is facing. You're the only one in the room that knows what we're facing tomorrow. And so God, we open our hearts right now and we ask you to speak by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Watch this video. Our first story highlights Prince Samukamara, a cornerback for the Chicago Bears. After playing at Nebraska, Prince was drafted 19th overall in 2011 by the New York Giants. Prince is a great guy whose life came together when he began to understand the reality of God's grace. This is his story. My upbringing around faith and around religion both of my parents really loved God and, and, and served God, but for some reason, one thing that I pulled from that was, was rules and obedience. And so I thought, okay, as long as I'm a good person, I'd be able to get into heaven. But it was working. Everyone thought, oh, Prince is the good kid, and 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 that was my that was my reputation. Prince was a good guy, and to be honest, I kind of I kind of liked it, and I, and I took. I took pride in it also. When I got into high school and I had friends around me, like, now they were my comparison, they were my standard. So as long as I'm not doing what they're doing, as long as I'm being better than them, in my eyes, then I'm still in right standing with God. At this camp, 500 kids, it's co-ed, boys and girls, about 12 different sports. There's college coaches there, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm here to showcase my talent and hopefully get on a radar to, to get a, a football scholarship. Each kid had um, their own group. In the group, we were doing Bible studies and we would break break the huddle and we, and we would do prayer. And one of the phrases we were saying was like, for his glory, and I'm thinking like, like for who, whose glory, like who's his? I 
still was kind of on the fence, but they played a clip with uh, Christ with, with carrying the cross and people whipping him and spitting at him and wearing the crown of thorns and blood is on his face. And I'm thinking like, wow, like he did this for me. So it wasn't until I got into college, I met with the, the team chaplain and he took me and a number of guys under his wings. We started to go through books and he, he taught us the word. We, we studied the word and we ended up spreading the word, share, sharing, sharing our testimony. High school stage, I was a believer. College is when I became a follower and when I started to walk and when I was able and learned how to give an account for what I believed in. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more than he does right now or to get God to love you less. He like he wants a relationship with you. When Jesus was at the cross, like he knew that he was buying broken, prideful, selfish, sinful beings like us and that should give us hope. The fact that a perfect God would want something so broken should tell us like how purposeful we are and how valuable we are. Seems like we can all find ourselves somewhere in Prince's story. Some of us are trying to live good lives, hoping that the good deeds will outweigh the bad ones and that God will take notice. Some of us have claimed the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, but we've stalled there. And some of us are following Jesus. So wherever you find yourself, the players today aren't the only ones who need to stand shoulder to shoulder. The life God intends for us is discovered when we stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus himself, because he really is all we'll ever need. You know, it's pretty wild hearing uh, even Prince say that growing up in a church, he still had the idea that if I'm good enough person, I'll get into heaven. And he grew up in church by godly parents. It's no wonder that people outside of the church get confused about what it takes to merit salvation. Uh, can I just say to all of us today, to be very clear uh, this morning, that uh, being a good person is not the way to get into heaven. Now, does being good matter? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd really appreciate if you at least be good till I'm done preaching. Just <laughs> It matters, okay? But it's not... It's not the deciding factor on our salvation. And, and why? Why does it not become the deciding factor of our goodness? Let me show you what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All in the original language means all. You're welcome. It means you're not good enough, I'm not good enough, all. So if the standard was, was goodness, trust me, you wouldn't want that standard. It's not how good I am or how good I am based on other people because none of us are good enough. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he said, For it is by grace that you have been saved. Can I tell you what grace means? Sometimes when we go to pray over a meal, somebody will ask, will you say grace? Listen, grace doesn't mean prayer. We use it that way, but that's not what this word means. When it says we are saved by grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. 
It's getting what you didn't deserve. If you earned it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be a reward. But we're saved by grace through faith. And this is not, it says, from yourselves. It is the gift of God. <clears throat> it's a gift from God. And then it says in the next verse, not by works so that no one can boast. So listen, when it comes to being loved by God, nobody has bragging rights. Because nobody in this place has earned the love of God. As you heard in the video, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you could do to make God love you less. And so can I just clear the air for some misconceptions that we see in our culture? Can I just say right here as a pastor in a church on Sunday morning, the testimony of the church is not we're better. The testimony of the church is we're broken, but we know the healer. We know the heart mender. We know the one that can take broken things and, and make them well, can take dead things and cause them to come to life again. And so step one of a person being saved is the acknowledgement that I need rescued. And truth be told, the only reason that many people have not come to faith in Christ is because they haven't realized they need him. That's why it's so important that we understand our goodness alone is not good enough. So what does it look like for a person to actually be saved? Well, I can promise you today, it has nothing to do with joining a church. It has nothing to do with becoming more of a religious person. In fact, Jesus himself over and over again in the gospels made it very clear what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And he did it with two words, follow me. Follow me. In fact, I want, I want to show you just one of those instances in Matthew chapter 4. It says in verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw <coughs> two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. <coughs> Look at verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. I love that Jesus was so gracious in that moment to say, if you'll follow me, I'm gonna use the talents and abilities that you already have. He didn't say, follow me, and I'm gonna make you doctors or lawyers, or I'm gonna send you off you know, to a foreign mission field. He said, you, got, you guys are fishermen. If you'll follow me, I'm gonna show you how to use what you're good at for my glory. And that's the way God is with us when he gives us the invitation to follow, <clears throat> to follow him. You know, that phrase, follow me, come follow me, it's not unique to Jesus. Now, we only hear it in the context of scripture, but you need to understand the culture of the day was that little boys would grow up and, and they, would be, uh, they would be mentored and disciplined by their fathers. And they would learn from their parents until they were 12 years old. And then at 12, they would go and they would meet with a rabbi. A rabbi, that's a name that Jesus was often called. It just meant a Jewish teacher. They would go and they would meet with the rabbi. And the hope, I mean, the ultimate goal would be that you would get selected to be an apprentice so that you could become a rabbi too. And so they'd meet with him. And, and if the interview didn't go well, then the rabbi would say to the kid, go and learn of your father. In other words, go, go be a fisherman. Go be a tent maker. Go be a carpenter. Go, go be a tax collector. 
But if the, if the interview went well, if the rabbi saw the potential in that young man, he would say, come follow me. Come follow me. And that was the invitation they would receive to be a part of the program. Now, here comes Jesus on the scene, and he's coming to fishermen. So that tells us a couple things. It tells us, one, these guys are older than 12 years old. But it also tells us that apparently they didn't get picked for the program. In other words, there was somebody else that looked at them at one point and said, you didn't make the cut. You're not good enough. I don't want you on my team. Go back and learn from your father. Can I just tell you, that's such a beautiful picture of God's grace that he comes to us no matter how many times we feel like we failed or been found unworthy or didn't feel like we made the team or made the cut or were good enough. And Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, come, follow me. He gave these guys a second chance. Jesus picked them for his team. And I want you to know today that not only has he picked you, but you can know that you're on his team. John, another one of Jesus' disciples, wrote in 1 John 5, 13. In the first century, he wrote to Christians, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know what that verse tells me? It's a little bit of grace. It makes me realize that even then, there were people that, that believed, but they weren't sure. They believed, but they didn't quite know. And he says, I'm writing this so that you do know. I want you to know. And, and that word in the original Greek language, which is what it was written in, has two different meanings. One of the, the meanings for the word know is a word gnosko. And, and that just means to come to understanding. It's a progressive knowledge. It, it kind of dawns on you over time. <clears throat> it's something that grows. But the other use of that word no is oida. And oida means full knowledge. It means to know completely. It's not something that grows over time. It's not progressive. It's something that can't be improved on. You know that you know that you know. And by the way, that's the word that is used in that verse. When John said, I want you to know that you have eternal life, you can know. How do you know? Romans 10, 9 and 10. It tells us this. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. He said, when you believe in your heart, you're justified. Now listen, that doesn't mean that if, if, I, if I believe in my heart that Jesus is God's son and that he died and that he rose from the dead, that all of a sudden my actions are justified. It doesn't mean that God justifies my sins, that he justifies my immorality. No, what it means is because you've put your faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by faith you're saved, by grace, not of works, what it means is that that has justified your salvation. You still haven't earned it. You still don't deserve it. But the fact that you put your faith in the finished works of Jesus, the Bible says in that moment, God justifies you. 
He says this person deserves to be saved. Now, I want you to know today my prayer is that every person in this service would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, so that you could know, not wonder, not hope, not speculate, but know fully and completely that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that your salvation is secure. I want you to watch another video testimony. Nate Solder is a Pro Bowl tackle who was drafted 17th overall in the 2011 draft. He's earned two Super Bowl rings with the New England Patriots, and he's made a living at protecting quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Eli Manning, and others. Nate is married to Lexi, and they have two wonderful children. But when their first son Hudson was born, a chain of events was set in a motion that would literally change their world. But that's not all. This is their story. When we found out I was pregnant, I, he was at work, I think, and he um, wasn't home. I took a pregnancy test in the morning, and it was positive. I put it in a like a jewelry box that I just had like laying around the house, and like wrapped it up in something. And I was like, I don't want to open this. I'm not into gifts. Like I don't want to. And, and, and she, she's like, No, no, you want to open this one. And it was the first pregnancy test, and it was positive. And I was like, What do I do now? <laughs> I do remember having one freakout moment because uh, we have a cat and I was like, because I'm reading all these things about how cats can give diseases to pregnant women, all this stuff. So I'm like so nervous. So I'm in there vacuuming at three in the morning, vacuuming the whole the kitty litter over the floor and like just going nuts. And I was like, I read my Bible. I tried calling people, but it's three in the morning. So I was like, I have no one to talk to. So she's like, Nate, why are you up at three in the morning vacuuming? I, was like, I don't know. I'm so nervous. giving Hudson baths and um, I remember Nate said at one point like this feels weird he has like a weird sort of lump on his left side. So we were friends with the pediatrician let's just text her let's text uh, Rachel and see what she says. So we go over house and and she's feeling his lump on his left side and feeling sort of the right side of his belly and, and she's like you know I wouldn't, I wouldn't really worry about it we'll keep an eye on it. She said, I want him to have an ultrasound today. So I was like, okay. I remember like getting in the shower and getting ready to go. And I was just like, started crying in the shower. Cause you just know, I mean, a mother's intuition, you just know it's not good. He was diagnosed with bilateral kidney tumors, which is really what, that is the basis of what we know. Um, his doctors have thrown around uh, Wilms tumor, which is pretty common. We were in the hospital for four or five days. It was just an onslaught of different medications, different types of options for how we could treat it. There was probably 10 different doctors who talked to us about it. His kidneys were, they said, were the size of pears at a three-month-old, when they're supposed to be the size of peanuts. So he was on chemotherapy for a full year. His kidneys um, shrunk tremendously. They looked like normal kidneys, but they always still had some spots in them. We were off for a year, and one of the spots started to grow again. So they thought the best course of action was to start chemotherapy again. They shrunk, and if they didn't shrink, they would not grow anymore. After a year of that, 
he still has tumors in his kidneys. But they're small and they haven't grown very much. So that's kind of where we're at now. Who knows what we're going to do with that and surgery might be down the line or more treatment or who knows. So yeah, we take it one day at a time. this sort of time in our lives where we felt like Hudson's situation was sort of stable and, and we started looking outward in ways that we could help or make an impact. I always say if, if Hudson was born in Uganda or Guatemala or Thailand or whatever with his condition, with his kidneys, he would, he would make it. Uh, we were able to find Confession International. They introduced us to kind of some of the programs they did, some of the kids, and I think both Lexi and I were thinking we're going to do something big. They get a good meal, they get evaluated, they get health records, and then they get Bible lessons. So they, they learn scripture and, and kind of they, they act it out in the way that they treat each other. And then one of the biggest things is too, they have access to school. So they're all their schools paid for and they have access to medical care. So they can go to any hospital and they get all the medical care covered too. You know, we have our NFL life and we have our compassion commitments and, and then we have our, our kids and our home life and, and all are very different and unique. And I think that middle section for us is Jesus. And I think that's really what connects it all. God's purposes are being done and it's happening. And somehow he's made us a part of his plan and it's led us down this path that we could have never fathomed. I never thought that I would play as long as I have in the NFL. I never could have imagined it as a kid. I certainly never wished that my son had cancer. But then somehow we're sitting in Uganda and the people are cheering because we were able to create these centers. And so God's up to something amazing and it far exceeds anything I've ever done in football. It far exceeds anything I could do. The Solder family is in the middle of it again. The fear, the uncertainty, the prayers of desperation, and the sleepless nights of wondering. They're in a vulnerable place right now, and they need our prayers. But I also know the Solders well enough to know they won't give up. They'll continue telling their story and allowing it to push them into the world with a global vision of rescue in the name of Jesus. And they'll do it by standing shoulder to shoulder with an amazing organization they mentioned called Compassion International. We traveled to Guatemala with the soldiers last summer and we learned there are 400 million children around the world who live in abject poverty. That's less than $1.90 a day. We've also learned that when we follow Jesus, we follow him into a world that needs saving and rescue. So what if you took your story and your resources, those two things, and you partnered together with a Christ-centered ministry that's saving lives around the world? There's no doubt your church already has some great opportunities for you, or you can check out Compassion International online. There's a victory waiting to happen here, but it won't happen unless we're willing to stand shoulder to shoulder. A powerful story. I want to take you to the Word of God in Matthew chapter 14 for a moment. 
Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22, it tells a story. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus has been teaching all day. He's tired. The disciples are tired. It says he made them get in the boat and go to the other side while he ended the service and dismissed the people. The next verse goes on to say, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life where you felt like you were doing what God told you to do and still you wound up in a storm. Anybody ever been there besides me? The disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus, who, who, who knows it all from the end to the beginning, who, who is very aware of what has happened, what is happening, what will happen. It feels like a setup. And then... <clears throat> As they're strowing, uh, they're, they're straining and rowing, it says they're being buffeted by the waves. Look at verse 25. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. You didn't read that wrong. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. <laughs> I love that the Bible includes these moments, you know. <laughs> These aren't these, uh, you know, stained glass figures that we get in our minds that walk around with a glowing halo over their head all the time. These guys are scared out of their mind. They think they're, they're seeing a ghost walking on the water. It says they cried out in fear. Look at verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love this next part. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. <clears throat> now that's an incredible story and an incredible moment, but often when I read scripture, I try to kind of put myself in the story and imagine what I would do if I was in that situation. And I, I think a lot of us, if we were there in that moment and we were saying, look, I, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do and now I'm afraid for my life. If, if I was in that situation and all of a sudden, <clears throat> Jesus says, hey, I got something else I want you to do. Why don't you step out of the boat and come walking over here with me? I'm thinking, no way. I mean, I got in this situation following you. Like, this is your fault. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before where maybe you wanted to point a finger upward and say, this is your fault. I didn't ask for this. I, did, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't what I wanted in my life. But I love this moment in Peter's life. Because while it says Peter stepped out of the boat and came to Jesus, what it doesn't say, but we all know, is that 11 other disciples didn't. 11 others didn't. And in that moment, Peter recognized something. He recognized that it, I, I have a better chance. <clears throat> I have a better chance of stepping into the uncertainty of the storm toward Jesus than to continue rowing frantically without him. 
And that's the place that every person has to come to, where we recognize that I'm not going to do any better than I've already done on my own. And even if everything about stepping towards Jesus doesn't make sense, somehow in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the storm, he's stable. Somehow when the world is rocked, the, the body of Christ, the people of God, have a foundation. Somehow when everything is shaken, they're not shaken the same way. And so Peter recognizes in that moment, it's better for me to just step towards Jesus in the middle of uncertainty than to stay in the boat and continue rowing on my own efforts. Can I tell you today, giving your life to Jesus is not about just getting a get out of hell free card. A lot of people have a, an escapist theology. They think that, you know, you just, you just want to be a Christian, you know, because you're afraid of dying. No. No, giving your life to Jesus is about a whole lot more than that. It's not about just knowing where I'm going when I die. When I give my life to Jesus, I am stepping into a plan and a purpose that God has for me that I've recognized is far better than any of my own plans. It's far better than anything I can come up with. It's far better than anything I could script or write. The Bible says in Hebrews, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He writes a better story for his glory through my life. And so when I give my life to him, I'm recognizing <coughs> that my best days, my best effort, my best accomplishments are still gonna leave me straining at the oars. But if, if I will step out and hear the invitation of Jesus, come, one word, that's all he said, come. <coughs> and what I'll find and what you'll find is that I can step into Something that is stable, even in the midst of uncertainty. I love in that testimony that Nate Solder said, God is up to something amazing. I love that. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have wanted it the way it happened, would have never wished cancer for his child, would have never thought he was going to play in the NFL as long as he did. But there they were in a foreign country, meeting the needs of other people. And it was the recognition that if I don't get in this situation that nobody would call good, everyone would call bad, if I don't go through that, we don't get here. This doesn't happen. These needs aren't met. And I want to challenge you today to get a different perspective on what you're going through. Nobody would have said, you know what, I'd really like to be, I'd like to have the life scared out of me tonight. How about we just row out in the middle of the sea and, and hope that a storm comes? Like that, that's what I want to do after a long day of work. No. <clears throat> but when the sun rose the next morning, Peter had a testimony that no one could ever take away from him. In the most uneasy and uncomfortable moments of his life, from thereafter, he could say, I walked on water. God saw me through a storm where I thought I was going to die. And some of you, that's your story. Don't point a finger at God and say, what have you done? Recognize the fact that you are here this morning. And without the grace of God, that's not a reality. You're not in this place listening to this message. It's God's grace that didn't just bring you to it. God's grace brought you through it. And you're here today. And I want you to know that you can trust him. Some of you, you might be here and you're in the middle of your own storm. And maybe it's a storm of your own making. Stupid decisions. 
bad mistakes, doing the wrong thing one too many times. <clears throat> but maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't do anything to deserve this. This isn't my fault. And yet still your world is crashing in around you. Can I tell you, either way, whether you've made the bed that you now lie in or whether it was unforeseen and unfortunate circumstances, Jesus still stands in the midst of the storm. And he's saying, come, just, just step out of it. Step towards me. You know, it's interesting that the storm doesn't stop raging until after Peter has gone out and met Jesus and then they get back into the boat. It says a little bit later <clears throat> in verse 32, it says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. That meant that Peter had to walk with Jesus in the middle of a hurricane. That meant that just because you're walking with Jesus doesn't mean you still don't go through storms. But he stepped towards him and he had an incredible testimony. And many of you know this, but Peter would go on to be the, the foundation and the pillar of the church. He was the leader that everyone else looked to after Jesus had rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven. It's the one who was willing in the midst of uncertainty to step towards Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I don't even know how I got here. Like, I don't even know why I showed up for this place. Can I tell you, I, I believe I do. I know why you're here. And Nate said it best. God is up to something amazing. And I want you to open your heart to what he wants to speak to you today. I want you to watch one more testimony video. Since he was picked in the first round of the 2004 NFL Draft, Benjamin Watson has had a long career in the NFL. And while Benjamin and his wife, Kirsten, have experienced a lot of success, they've also experienced their share of challenges. Challenges filled with disappointment, hard questions, and loss. This is their story. Possibly my last game. Uh, if we win, which hopefully we do, uh, there'll be another game after that, which will be in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. And on that Monday or Tuesday, I started getting pain in my stomach. The next day, I ended up going to uh, the hospital, got a couple of CAT scans, and gave me some medicine and uh, sent me home. Another doctor looked at my CAT scan and said, I think Benjamin has uh, acute appendicitis. You need to get him to the hospital right now. A dear friend named David um, came over to the hospital prayed for me. My family was there. And I woke up. That was the first night I slept the whole week. They released me from the hospital. I go back to the facility and, uh, you know, they tell me that, well, you weren't here the first two days of practice, Wednesday and Thursday, so the plan is for you not to play. Crushed. Because in my head, I had this awesome story of I had appendicitis, God healed me, I came back in the NFC Championship, caught the winning touchdown. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's gonna be a Christian sensation. That's how my mom was rolling. 
late April, early May, started thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe I want to play again. New England reached out after we made them word I wanted to play, and it seemed substantial. Like, it might really be an opportunity to play. So when Benjamin decided to continue to play, then everything kind of shifts. Moved the family across the country again. And so the kids are there, the guys are moving the boxes out. It's the memory of walking through the house when there's nothing in there with all the kids. Go to practice that week. I'm not activated that first week. Then the next week, Things were kind of weird, um, and I was released. I was cut. I, was, I, I didn't. I wasn't good enough. We had five kids. And the question we always get is, are you done? And I just didn't have the yes. And then one night, I remember him saying, you know, let's, let's go for number six. Let's try. And so I felt like we had waited, we had been patient, um, and that we had both heard yes from the Lord. And so to go and, and then get pregnant immediately, I was like, we were supposed to have six. And so the last thing that ever crossed my mind is that we wouldn't have the baby when it didn't work out. And we found out that we had lost the baby. I remember thinking, God, I thought I was doing what you said. You know, five kids is a lot. We said yes to six. We must have been wrong because surely God wouldn't allow that. And so we got pregnant again. And I said, well, maybe God really does want us to have this sixth baby. We were excited, we told the kids, and then something went wrong again. The baby's not growing, and um, there's no heartbeat. I'm just trying to be obedient, and I don't understand. And so this time was really rough, and we try again in July, and then I get pregnant. I look, I'm looking at the lady giving the ultrasound and she makes this weird face. And I say, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, I see something. And so I say, well, is it a baby? Do you see a baby? And she goes, I see two babies. I look over at Benjamin and I see him walking towards the TV screen with his mouth open. And then I look at the screen and I see two, two babies. And I say, you didn't tell me you had twins in your family. Because I don't, I was like, I don't have any twins in my family. How do we have twins? Necessarily, what I think good is. It's always good, but it might not always be pleasant. 
Then to me says, if God loved you, wouldn't that be easy? And somewhere along the line, I've bought in that lie. Then I have to go back to truth. And I look in the Bible and I don't see that anywhere. <laughs> His promises are that you are an overcomer, that I love you, that I'll never leave you or forsake you. His promises are that I will always provide for your needs according to riches and glory. His promises are that I loved you so much that I sent my own son to die for you. His promises are that I've already written the book, so I know what's happening when you don't. His promises are eternal life. His promises are that I'll give you beauty for ashes. Many of you are in a season right now that doesn't feel pleasant at all. Your job, your close relationships, your health, or your finances are causing pain and disappointment. Some of you feel like you've done everything you're supposed to do, but the happy ending you're hoping for feels a million miles away. So what does standing shoulder to shoulder look like for you? Maybe God's invitation for you today is simply telling one person how hard this really is. Or maybe God's inviting you to stand shoulder to shoulder with believers throughout the ages, followers of Jesus who have stubbornly and faithfully chosen to believe in God's good promises, even while they live in their own uncertainty. Whatever the case, God is always offering us something far greater than the answers we seek. He's offering us his presence, a presence that's most often seen through others who have walked or who are currently walking the same journey. You know, this room is full of people today that could fill in the blank in that question differently. How can God be good if? How can God be good if? And I don't wanna depress anyone, so I'm not gonna pass the mic. But the reality is, every one of us have unanswerable questions. We have stuff that we face, things that we go through that we just don't know how it's gonna work out. But can I just say today, if you ever want proof, if you ever want a vivid reminder of how God can take something that's horribly wrong and make it beautifully right, just look at the cross. Roman crucifixion was designed to bring maximum pain and maximum shame to its victims. And yet, all over this globe, you see crosses like this one, hanging in churches, around people's necks, on top of steeples, in our cemeteries. Why? Because God can take something that's terribly wrong and he can use that very symbol to illustrate victory and, and life and hope and security. It's why we take the most horrible day in history, the day that man turned their back on God so far as that they killed the Son of God. You know what we call that day? Good Friday. We call it good because we know what it was for. And you might be in the middle of something today and you don't know what it's for, but I wanna tell you what that verse you just read on the screen says is true. We know, we know absolute certainty that in all things God 
works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You can know that today. Now there's some things you won't know and I hope not knowing them doesn't keep you from trusting him. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. In other words, there's some things that we're not gonna be able to figure out in this lifetime. Why, why did this child die? Why, why, did, why did those attacks happen on those people? There's always gonna be things that you and I can come up with that are gonna cause us to wanna ask the question again, how is God good if, but look at the cross and understand that God has a bigger and a greater plan. And just because you don't know the end of the story doesn't mean it's not good. Today, we wanna stand with you. We wanna stand shoulder to shoulder with you maybe even in the middle of the storm and say we're trusting God with you. Maybe like Benjamin Watson, you've got a, a story and, and you're just saying this is not how it was supposed to happen. This is not the way it was supposed to go. <clears throat> Those disappointments, if you let them, will keep you from seeing the goodness of God. There's a lot of hurt people that are walking around totally blind to the good things in their life. Because I've found to be true that hurt people hurt people. But healed people can heal people. Don't let what's wrong keep you from seeing what is right. God is faithful. God is faithful. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it tells us that we are <coughs> to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will ful fulfill <clears throat> the law of Christ. So one of the things that we are called to do as the church is to carry other people's burdens. So when I say we want to stand with you shoulder to shoulder, that, that's, not, that's not to shame anyone or to call you out or to have you acknowledge or confess that, that you're a failure or you can't make it. No, remember, the story of the church is not we're better. The story of the church is we're all broken. But we've learned how to step towards one who can heal. And we've received the assignment from heaven that says we're called to carry your burdens with you. You know, in today's game, there's gonna be 11 players on offense. There's gonna be 11 players on defense on the field at one time. <clears throat> but there's gonna be 53 players on the roster. And every one of them had to work together to get where they are and every one of them on the winning team is gonna get a ring. But the truth is, they're actually gonna give out anywhere from 300 to 900 Super Bowl rings today. Depending on how the leaders of that team's organization wants to pass them out. Now you won't see all those, but over 300 rings are gonna be passed out today because they recognize something as an organization. We didn't get here by ourselves. It takes an entire organization to win the Super Bowl. And when it comes to you stepping towards Jesus, let me just say, you gotta take that step all by yourself. I can't take it for you. N nobody can answer the call for you to follow 
Jesus. But when you do take that step, you're not called to take it alone. See, the church is not about a bunch of Christians coming together to isolate ourselves from the world. The church is about coming together to insulate ourselves from the storm. That there are men and women and teenagers that will come around you when when you're asking that question, how can God be good if? And they'll carry the burden with you, encourage you in the middle of the fight. So that even when what's happening in your life doesn't make sense, you can say, like Nate and Lexi said, God's up to something amazing. God's doing something in my life. So today, I, I wanna just extend an invitation to you. Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you've heard me say it many times and you've heard these athletes on the screen testify about their relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps today you're here and you recognize something is missing in my life. Something's missing. My prayer is that this would be the moment that you stop rowing against the storm. Stop fighting in your own ability. And that in your heart, you would just turn and you would see the Savior, Jesus Christ, inviting you to come, to come, to trust him, to step into the unknown and find certainty. So I'm gonna pray for you now and I wanna ask you just one more time today, if you'd bow your head with me all over this room, we do this because we wanna reverence God's presence, but we also do it because we wanna block out the noise and the distractions. You're sitting in a crowd this morning, but so was Peter. He was sitting in a crowded boat when he heard Jesus say, come. And he didn't let anyone else's decision determine his action. I wanna ask you to do the same. If you're here today and you hear Jesus calling you, come. He wants to save you. He wants to be the Lord of your life. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm coming to Jesus. But hear me. I want you to know what you mean when you say it. When you lift up your hand and say, I'm coming to Jesus. You're recognizing what we all need to recognize, that my goodness is not good enough. You're recognizing that on your own, you can't save yourself, you can't get to the other side. When you lift your hand in just a moment, you're saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the Bible is true and that God sent His Son to die on the cross for me. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, I can have new life in Jesus. When you raise your hand, you're saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe the story you'll make of it is far better than the one I can create. Jesus, I'm going to come and follow you. If that's you and you need to make that decision today, I'm going to count to three. 
and then the waiting is over, I'm gonna invite you to just lift your hand. One. Two. Just respond to the Lord today. Three. Would you lift your hands? That's me. Praise God. Praise God. Just lift it up high. Lift it up high. This is just a moment. God, I'm stepping out of the boat. God, I'm stepping into a relationship with you. I'm stepping out of the boat. I'm stepping into a relationship with you. Praise God. You can put your hand back down. Hands have gone up all over this room. Church, could we stand shoulder to shoulder right now? All over this room. I want to invite you to stand. No one's standing alone. <clears throat> no one's standing alone right now in this moment. We're going to pray this prayer. And I want every person to lift it up with those that just raised their hand. Listen, there's no magic formula. There's no special words or incantation or seance. This is about faith. We read it earlier. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you the words to help you, but it's got to be your prayer. Let's pray it together. Say this after me. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to live a sinless life and to die for my sin. Thank you for conquering death when he rose from the grave. Today I surrender. I'm trusting you with the rest of my life. I'm trusting you to write my story. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Be my King. Fill me with your presence so that I can live for you every day. Today is a new day. I'm a new creation. The old me is gone in Jesus' name. It's gone. Amen. Can we give God praise today? Come on. For all of these that have just prayed that prayer. Amen.